White Rocket Entertainment, podcast number 761. We laugh so we don't cry. White Rocket Entertainment. The hard part of the season's in the rearview mirror. What can Auburn do in the stretch run? The AU Wishbone is next! You're listening to the AU Wishbone, almost credible sports discussion on the War Eagle Sports Radio Network. From the Palatial White Rocket Studios in Southern Illinois and far eastern Virginia, it's the AU Wishbone Podcast. John, how are you? I'm hanging in there, Van. How are you? Good, good. I'm doing very well, very well. Um... So I'm, I'm really excited, Van, to get together with you and talk about Auburn basketball for the next hour. The season's coming up. We've got an exciting team with a lot of new pieces. Can't wait to break it all down and, and return to our happy place. I'm very excited to look to, to talk about Auburn basketball coming up. We have Auburn basketball coming up really soon, and this is going to be a heck of a team. But I'm also excited to talk about Auburn football, as always. And um, I feel like I have a different view on it than basically – most Auburn people that I've heard from and seen and talked to over the last few days, and I don't really understand it, but um, we can talk about it. We'll work through it tonight because I honestly, I mean, I get why people are upset to a degree, but um, we'll we'll play it out here. We'll let it we'll let it. Play I out. think you and I have different viewpoints on this topic. Maybe so I look forward to the discussion as always. As always, very good. All right, so you actually got to go. You actually were down there, and. Uh, we're going to hear from you as to what it was like for those that didn't get to go and just watched it on TV like me or heard it or whatever. But of course, before we do any of that, before we do any of that, this could be a little... Yeah, the fun meter's still got a broken valve in the horn, I'm afraid. So where's your Auburn fun meter, John? Where did you hide it? Where is it? I'm gonna. I'm gonna again. I'm gonna separate things. I am excited about basketball, and I had a great day tailgating with family and friends. It was the weather is perfect, wonderful day, and that part was awesome. Auburn football has, you know, made my fun meter a two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm on about a four. It's about where I expected it to be, and and that's kind of my point. So that's fair enough. Um, so let's talk about Ole Miss. You went down to the plains. I did. You were in I the stands. There. You were yelling and hollering, hooting and hollering, carrying on. Helping and that's why I, my voice sounds a little rough, especially by the end of this podcast. That's because I left it all in the field yelling for the defense. Good man. So. Good man. You did your part. That's good. So what was it like? Talk to us a little bit about inside the stadium. I mean, it was great inside the stadium. I think the crowd was really good. I mean, they were very loud when Auburn was on defense. I talked to some people who said it wasn't – at the Georgia game – the crowd was like absolute fever pitch before kickoff. Do you know what I'm saying? They were mm-hmm. just all, you know, at that maniacal stage before we even kicked off. But I think in the Ole Miss game, the, the crowd was ready, uh, and they were really loud. The students, the, the alumni were really, really loud, and we were on defense. It caused Ole Miss a lot of problems. But I do think you know, the lack of offense and stuff, at some point the air came out of the crowd, mm-hmm. and that was tough. Um, and I worry in future home games if the offense plays like that, there's going to be some uncomfortable moments. Yeah. 
I genuinely worry about that. I worry if we're if the offense plays like that next week or you know in future weeks uh, we go these long stretches with no first downs or no score and the fans are going to get antsy. Um, you're going to hear murmuring and some and some yelling and some booze and stuff. I worry about that and I worry about the reaction to that. So and I, I mean to me. Um, it was a great experience. A night game of Jordan Hare is always awesome, and the crowd really brought it. And uh, the halftime show was spectacular by the band, the Metallica mm-hmm. show. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I, when I left the stadium, I was just laughing because it was just like a gallows humor thing. Like, you know, what what was that? So, anyhow, but it was a it was a beautiful fall day, Van, and a night game of Jordan Hare, and you can't ask for much more than that. I just feel like I watched a different game than everybody else because I don't feel bad about it. I mean, here's let me let me break down kind of my thought process, and you can you can kind of walk me through it, okay, and tell me where I'm wrong. So when we came into the season, we looked at the schedule. We said there's a very real, serious possibility we could be three and four, and it was these exact three and these exact four. So to me, the schedule has gone exactly the way we kind of expected that it would. We, I remember thinking, well, we're going to be three and zero, oh, and that's good. And then we're going to be three and four, and I hope that the fans can hang in there and understand that we know going in we could very well be three and four. And then it kind of calms back down again, and we got a chance to go and win three more in a row after the four. We could very well be six and four uh, going into the last, uh, you know, whatever couple of games. And so um, this is this was not surprising to me. What surprised me was that the offense played as well as they did in this game. I was very surprised how well they played because. We went down. Well? The, yeah, because we went down the field. We we ran some stuff. Can I? Yeah, keep go. Okay. Um, because we did some innovative stuff. I want to talk to you about some of the formations that we used. I thought were really kind of cool. Um, I was impressed, especially in the fourth quarter, with how Thorne uh, was passing the ball right on the button, moving us down the field for that touchdown, hitting the uh, crossing route that we, the slant that seems to be there. I feel like we, you know, you and I have said for years we need to run more slants and we don't ever do it. But in the few times we do it, it always works. We just hardly ever do it. I mean, under Gus, under Potato, and under Freeze, we hardly ever do it. But the times we do it, it always seems to work. But I think we've done it maybe six times in the last six years. Uh, but I was impressed with that drive. I was impressed that Jarquez had a, had the best game he's had all year. He had a breakaway run. He looked good a bunch of other times. He had a long first down down the side. I mean, he looked better than he's looked all season long, which was that was a relief and welcome. Um, I thought, uh, yeah, a couple of the receivers and Fairweather had really good stretches there when we actually used them. Fairweather caught a couple of passes and then a touchdown that was good. I mean, if you're saying how did our offense look compared to 2019 or 2017, well, then no. But if you ask how did it look compared to last week, it was a whole lot better than it was against LSU. How did it look compared to, uh, you know, it was? I, I think it was probably about on par with how it looked against Georgia, maybe better than it was against Georgia, and a lot better than it was against LSU. And if I feel like if we can keep improving the offense like that, kind of finding the things that are working and leaning on the things that are working, then we got a really good shot to beat Mississippi State and um, really good shot to beat Arkansas and New Mexico State and, and have six wins minimum and be in a bowl minimum in a year where people are jumping off buildings over how the, te- how the, the team is playing. We could still end up in a bowl, I mean, in, a, in like the ultimate rebuilding year. So I thought... I thought the defense looked really, really good. They had some moments where they left receivers open, but that just seems to happen with Ole Miss. Everybody does that. My gosh, how many points did LSU give up 
to this Ole Miss team. And, you know, it, it, and you can go back and look, too. People were saying, uh-oh, there's a noise. Uh, it must just be your air conditioning. That's right. Um, there, you know, I heard people like, I kind of lost my train of thought. Well, anyway, um, I don't know. I just felt like uh, special teams, we had a great punt return. We had um, a field goal that was disrupted. I know it was a bad snap, but they got in there and, and intercepted it and everything. I thought the, the special teams played really well. Um, I mean, the main problem I had with our uh, with our whole game was that we turned the ball over a couple of times when we were driving. That We could have easily scored 35 points in that game, and that would have been enough to win. And if we hadn't, and oh, I know, it was I saying, people were kind of saying, well, we, if, if you take away a couple of our fluke plays, we'll take away a couple of old Mrs. Fluke plays and we win 21 is 14. So, I mean, that's, that's stupid. I've got to rant about that later on. But anyway, my point was, I thought that we looked better than people were saying. We were in that game until we were onside kicking for a chance to go to overtime at the end against the top 12 team. When, you know, a week ago, it looked like we couldn't find our rear end with a flashlight in both hands. So I, I thought that this was a, a nice step up. I, I assumed we were going to lose it, but I was very impressed that we almost pulled it out. So there's my thoughts on it. Tell me, tell me I'm wrong. It's fine. I, I feel like Ole Miss did everything they could do to keep us in this game and give us a chance to win this game. They kept laying it out there for us on a silver platter, turnovers, the field goal, shank punts, all of that penalties – on them and we couldn't take it when they were tr- they were saying please take the game cuz their defense played so well i thought that the key to the whole game was that old miss's defense stiffened up and stopped us when they had to that to me of the four units on the field i thought the one that impressed me the most was old miss's defense cuz i did I mean, not think that they would be able to do that their defense is better their coach better their defensive line is better they they are yeah. better but i think we executed poorly on offense. I think we, you know, there were times that we ran the ball well up the middle with Jarquez, and then we'd immediately go away from it and do other stuff. I think the quarterback rotation was random and haphazard. Oh, for sure. No, I agree about that. Absolutely. And I think at one point in the game, you know, we, we, we directly substituted the quarterbacks on a third down and got a penalty that went from like third and one to third and six. And then another mm-hmm. series, you know, we ha- we substituted in Robbie when it was, you know, uh, second and one, and he ran the wrong direction on the handoff and got tackled. And then I, on the, the Robbie package, like, we can't do the run to the outside with him anymore no, without no. some kind of, you know, fake to the running back or some yes. other – thing because they're just standing there waiting on him. Tell me one time in this game that it was a step up to put Robbie in there. Well, maybe in the first quarter. There was, I, a cu- there was a couple of times in the first quarter that he came in and did some good stuff, got us down to the goal line. Yeah. That's true. But, after, but that, no, I, I, after that, I'm everything that he did, Thorne did as well or better. I, I'm agreeing with you. I don't think it added anything. Um, I, one thing I want you to think about is one of the current things that people are saying that I that may have said on the broadcast, I've heard other people say it, is that Freeze calls the Robbie plays and Montgomery calls the Thorn play. Yeah, I've always heard that last couple of weeks. Uh, so I don't, we can think about that. But I, I thought the offense was not good. I think it was 
it mu- it really felt like just kind of we were just randomly throwing stuff against the wall. Um, and I, we don't, we're not aggressive on offense. We don't take chances. We're playing not to lose. No, that's in fair. Every game. I'm and not I, disagreeing with anything you're so, saying. So, and you you feel like we had a good offensive game. But no, those two- no, no. I feel like we had a better, a much better offensive game than we've had the last couple of weeks. We're still garbage. It's still hot, flaming garbage. <laughs> it's but it was relatively it's relative. I want to improve. What have we said all year? We just want to get better. And we got better, I thought. It was still kind of brain dead and stupid. And they ran around and did stuff that I didn't understand why they were doing it. But it, it, we almost won the damn football game, John. I'm going to tell you, and this is my opinion. I was in the stadium when Ole Miss went up by two scores. If you could have done some kind of automatic voting, I don't think anybody in that stadium thought we were going to win. Nobody. And then there we are, seven down and driving, I mean, and, and throwing the interception. We drove the field twice after we were down 28-14, to 14, scored a touchdown once, and had an interception in the end zone the other time. And then we're onside kicking to try a third time. And I know Ole Miss was playing a little prevent defense and dropping back and all that kind of stuff, but... Before those two drives, we had 160 total yards mm-hmm. in the whole game. And that was like halfway through the fourth quarter. We had 160 total yards up to that point. So we, if we can do that on those two drives, where is that? Yeah. Where, where is that the rest of the game? It's like it, we pull this out because we're absolutely desperate, backs against the wall. The rest of the game, it's like, well, we're, we're not even going to think about doing that. Because we're so much better when we use tempo, and they're terrified to use tempo in the first three quarters of the game. Because they don't want to, because they're playing not to lose. Yeah. They're not yeah. playing to win. Right. And I, I mean, that's not a player's thing. That's not a receivers can't go get the ball thing. That's a coach's decision. Sure. Um, Still I, almost one. I, don't, I mean, we threw an interception in the end zone. If, if Thorne. And in double coverage and another one in a triple coverage. I know. Coverage. If we had just stuck with what was working, but they go out there and say, oh, chuck it in. And didn't he do it again? Didn't he do the same thing earlier? I feel like we threw another interception down there that was basically a punt, right? Or Robbie did. One of them. We had, that was each quarterback threw one interception. Yeah. The other interception was Robbie. Both times been, we were moving the ball. Yeah, and and the Robbie when we had just created a turnover at midfield, and it was yes. one of those we got the swinging momentum, take a shot, right? And it was literally triple coverage, and, and we had a long punt return that got called back, and we still moved the ball. So yeah, with all that adversity going against us, look, I know when it comes to my views on Auburn football right now, you don't have any friends. <laughs> Nobody likes you. But, you know, I'm just honest. That's how I saw it. I was sitting there watching that game, excited, jumping up and down, like, holy crap, we could still win this game. I I mean, I just, again, I was cheering. I was yelling at the end and all that stuff. But I did not believe that we had any chance to win the game once it went up by two scores. And my fear is that this is the offense. This is what it is. And we have played worse away from home, and we got to go to Arkansas and to Vanderbilt. There's no magic reason the offense is going to be better than it's been in the other road game. Well, those, game those teams are any different than Cal. Well, Vanderbilt's very different from LSU, though. The stadium, I, the crowd. Arkansas's defense is Arkansas's defense is statistically equivalent to LSU's defense right now. So. Is that good or bad? Is that a good thing or a bad thing? I'm not sure. Well, what I think it's a I think it's a thing that says our offense did X against LSU. I expect it to do the same thing against Arkansas. 
until I see something different, I, our offense is what it is. This is the level that we play at, and this is the output we can produce, and I'm not sure we can make a bowl game with this offense and the you, way we're producing. Do you reckon we'll get Damari back by then? Maybe by Arkansas. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a couple weeks away. So It'd be nice. Yes. Yeah, it's three weeks away, I guess, right? Uh-huh. We got Mississippi State, then Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt, then Arkansas. Then Arkansas, yeah. Yeah, I mean, we can beat all three of them. That would make us uh, six, six and four. And six and four. And we got New Mexico State. That make us seven and four going into Alabama. It's doable. I mean, I it, think we've played is. the four hardest teams on our schedule other than Alabama back to back to back to back. Just And I just it, – it disheartens me to see Auburn fans bailing out and giving up hope and throwing in the cards – after something happens that we expected to happen. I understand that it's more because of the reasons, but there were going to be reasons. I don't care what the reasons are. It could have been that both of our quarterbacks broke their legs. It could have been that the offensive coordinator got his head up his butt. It could have been a lot of th- it could have been that the defense was as bad as we thought it was going to be in the spring. It could have been a lot of things. Well, guess what? It's that the offense isn't making a lot of sense and it's frustrating to us. But we still thought we were going to be three and four, and we are. I'm not surprised. But I'm the not whole pushed. thing is here's let me ask you this though. The whole thing is it's because it's all about the future recruiting. It does, so in some sense, it's like it doesn't matter how, what we do this year. We're just trying I think to get it does. So I think we'll start hemorrhaging recruits if we start doing if we do much worse than this. I, I that's exactly what I'm worried about. Yeah, I think if we it, if you're an offensive recruit, are they showing you a different video in the <laughs> in the room and saying this is the offense you're going to be? In. We're not going to do this shit. They put a game. VR headset on them during the games. I, well, I mean, I, are they showing them like some? Some other stuff, and they're like, this is the good stuff. We're saving this till you get here. We're not going to run any of that shit now. Or we're trying to run it, but look at these fools we got out there right now. But when you get here, man, you know, you guys know how to do this. So, So but this is the other part, okay? If you gave the same collection of players to Gus Malzahn or Mike Leach or the current offensive coordinator at Kansas, we'd be a lot better. Yeah, a lot. I I think Gus with this team. Uh, let's see. Who did we lose to in our streak now? Ole Miss, LSU, Georgia, A and M, A and M. Okay, Gus. Yeah, Gus loses to A and M. Gus loses it, it, Georgia. For, I mean, again, forget the losing part. Would okay. the offense be this to. bad if he, one of if one of those people was the was coaching it? No, no, we wouldn't have Peyton Thorne. Uh, if no, we, with if, this collection of players, those co- Mike Leach would make this team competent. Gus would make this offense competent. We're not there. It's worse. Well, I'm, that's what I'm trying to say is if Gus was our coach, we wouldn't be playing Peyton Thorne. We would have Robbie out there running like the, the thing that Nick Marshall ran and uh, with Damari and, and uh, Jarquez. And I think they could probably, if you built the entire offense around doing that, around doing what we did in 2013, 2014, then I think that this team could be a pretty decent running team. Yeah, I think so. But that's not what this staff and this coach wants to do. That's not there. And that's not what we hired them to do. We could have kept Gus if we wanted to do that. No, so, again, I, th- I think you're, you're saying one thing. I'm saying we could have Mike Leach or Gus do the Chris Todd thing, and it would be better than this coaching staff is doing with this collection. Of what is the Chris Todd thing? The 2009 offense. The, the Gus offense arena in 2009 with Chris Todd, Peyton Thorne could do that. Yeah, 
probably it would be so. okay. Yeah, probably you so. I, I'm just saying, like, this offense it is historically terrible. It is t- worse than Harson last year. It's on par with 2012. It mm-hmm. is the worst third down offense in the SEC in eight years. Wow. I mean, it is. We are one of the worst offenses in college football. The only passing offenses that are worse are the service academies. And we don't try to pass. We don't even bother. So I, you know, and what what happens because we don't try to pass is that I think some of the receivers are kind of checked out. The perimeter blocking is really bad on the wide run plays. And some of that is because the receivers are not involved. I think, and, and they're definitely not involved like as decoys when they're not getting the ball. I mean, they, they know when they're not getting the ball and they're not pulling the safeties away from the other receivers or running passing routes. Um, the defense has everybody within five yards of the line of scrimmage because they're not scared of them. And they know we're not going to throw to the outside receivers. We threw two passes to the outside receivers in the whole game, one completion and one incompletion. Who was that? One was Camden Brown. I think that was the incompletion. And the other one was um, – I think yeah, Burton was playing out there. We threw it to him. Oh, okay. It didn't register for me where they were relative to the inside and outside. Whatever, so. What was your point about Shedrick Jackson? That was interesting. So, again, what, the thing we ran at the end of last year, the Robbie offense, that we have, everybody's like, why doesn't this work like that? And there's a great, uh, you know, the, the Iron Man meme where the, uh, uh, the, uh, the, the CEO of the company is yelling at his scientist and he says – you know, he built this in a cave with a box of scraps, but instead it's like Carno Williams and the, the offensive line coach from last year. So that offense worked because now why doesn't the thing we're doing now work as well? We missed Tank. I think he was clearly underappreciated and uh, is better than any running back we have on the roster now. And the other guy that is missing that I think was really underrated was Shedrick Jackson. He wasn't a big play receiver catching the ball, but he was solid. But he was a great blocker. On the edge, we ran a lot of wide plays last year, especially at the end of the year with Robbie and Tank and Jarquez. And along a lot of those plays, Shedrick Jackson made a block to to open up a hole. And we are not getting any of that right now. There's a reason I called him Shedrick Jackson Turner, closing of the American (laughs) frontier and blocking of the corner. That was great. Yeah, so... That's an obscure reference that three people will get, but that's what we do here. I, uh. <laughs> I just think I mean I think he I think we should I, in hindsight I appreciate him much more than I should have, or, or I should have appreciated him much more, more while more he than was you here. did. Yeah, no, I I think well we talked about him some. I mean I think yeah. we did to some degree we did realize how valuable he was, and so that that's fine. Um, all right, I had some. Th- cool things to talk about the offense but I don't really have a, I'm not really in the mood to do it anymore if there's anything else you want to say about the offense that's fine no just the, on the first series of the game we went for the fourth down and it just we can't rush short that was yardage. terrible that was I was like punt the ball punt. you talk about us playing not to you know playing not to win or not to lose or whatever but that was not that was the opposite they were playing they were they were putting too much out there trying to play to win and not play not to lose i I really wanted them to be more conservative early on because the last thing you want to do is get in a hole, and that's exactly what we did. When we're not even on their side of the 50-yard line on the first drive of the game, I'm like, you know, if it's six inches short, just punt it. We're the, you know the defense is going to play well. 
just pin them back. And the rest of the game, we pretty much did. We had a very good rest of the game, for the most part, in terms of their field position. We kept them deep. We kept them on their side of the field. We made them work for it. Their, one of their touchdown drives was 90 yards. But yeah, you, you made Oscar them earn it. Chapman, Oscar Chapman was awesome in this game. Yeah, and, and, and if we hadn't let a couple of them go in the end zone, he would have been even better in turn. But he let a couple of them go past. And we yeah. still pinned them deep, made them go 80 or 90 yards. So I felt like that one of the biggest mistakes – that we made. You're talking about how we were just wouldn't take it. A lot of it, I think, wasn't that we wouldn't take it. It's that they would make mistakes on terms of the crowd or whatever, an execution, and then we would turn around and make a mistake back. Oh, yeah. That happened over and over. And if we had just punted the ball there and made them go 80 yards instead of 45, it just maybe we would have stopped them. Maybe we would have gotten the ball back. Maybe it wouldn't have been 7 It's just when people point to this game, as, have, as I've had several times in social media and stuff, when people point this game and say, well, if you, you, know, if you take away a couple of Auburn's this, that, and the other, then it's 28-7 to seven or whatever. And I'm like, yeah, and if you take away a couple of our mistakes, it's 35-28 our way. Or it's 28-21 our way. Or it's 21-14 our way. I mean, you can't play that game because, yes, we had some stuff go our way, but they also had some stuff go their way that people just want to it's, it's the This is the mindset in this situation that drives me up the freaking wall, John. This is the mindset. Anything that happens good for us, oh, that's a fluke. Take that away. You can't credit that to us. But anything fluky that goes for the other team, oh, that's just that's just them being good. You can't touch that, right? You can you can take away stuff that happened to us because it's a fluke. But oh, you can't touch the stuff that they did. That's sacrosanct. That's just they're just good. Give me a freaking break. I mean, you know, like a guy tweeted at me and said, well, if you take away Auburn's two touchdowns for this, that, and the other, and I'm like. Okay, and if you take away one of theirs, we're in overtime. What's your point? You know, we've talked about this before. I just can't stand when people do that. I can't stand the old, well, if you take away. Why are you taking our thing away and not theirs, right? That doesn't make no, any I sense. It just drives that. me at the freaking wall. Um, all right, well, while I'm not depressed here for two seconds because I'm too angry to be depressed, um, what did you think about that new formation that we rolled out where the, we had like the – we were in kind of like the pistol – with the tight ends on either side of the quarterback, it was it was almost like the wishbone upside down, it was. like an inverted it wishbone. It was like a, a running back and three tight ends out there with mm-hmm. uh, with Robbie, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I liked it. I think it was creative, and then we ran the really good play at the goal line out of mm. uh, you know that was the Thorn play. Thorn went in motion, and they snapped it to Jarquez. <sighs> that was that really was beautiful. Cool. I, I was sitting there going. Why in the crap are you bringing Thorne in on the goal line when you got Robbie? Why are you doing that? And then I went, oh, because you're not going to use him at all. He's a decoy. All right, that's fine. That's fine. If you're going to only if if Thorne's only job on the goal line is to run away from the action on purpose, I'm okay with that. If you're on the goal line with Robbie and you take him out and bring Thorne in on the goal line, I'm just like, what the crap are you doing? So I was like. No, 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 no. Yes. <laughs> I love that play. That was awesome. Agree. And, and again, I, I think that the diamond backfield formation and that call are examples of things like I think they have some good play design stuff, right? I think that yeah. some of the ideas are really good. I'm not saying that they're, you know, that they're rolling really dumb play designs out there. I, some of it is just the way we're doing it and the rotating the quarterbacks back and forth stuff. I wish they would just pick one. And do it. So 
Oh, that was the other thing, and I did have it on here already, is talking about taking away things. If you want to take something away, that interception, I forgot about this. Thorne's interception in the end zone wasn't even an interception. The guy didn't have control of the ball. It hit the ground. But apparently now the referees, if the ball hits the ground while the guy is still trying to catch it, that's okay. I didn't realize you could catch it on the first bounce, John, but apparently it's okay now. Because we is saw that the, the re- one freeze challenged. Yes, they showed it over and over and over, and you could see the ball hitting the grass before he gathered it in, and his foot was on the on the white line before he had possession of it anyway. So there were two different ways you could say that was not an interception, and they're like, "Oh, call in the field stands, Ole Miss ball." I'm just like, "Give me a break." That's what I was mad about, and that wasn't anything. I mean, yeah, he shouldn't have thrown it or whatever, but it wasn't an interception. I mean, and that I, killed I, our drive. Pa- I'm going to be honest. I don't think the pass was – Thorne's pass was that terrible. I think the receiver has to go up and, and get – you know, yeah. attack the ball like that sure. first defensive back did. Sure. That's fine with me. But I just it, – it should have been out of bounds. It should have been out of bounds. Yeah. There was no way we that was an interception. We couldn't see that in the stadium, either one of those things. So. Yeah, no, they showed it over and over and over. And the guys on TV were like, yeah, I think it's uh, hitting the ground. It's hitting the ground. They're going to reverse this. And he goes, call stands. I'm like, you got to be freaking kidding me. You know, that's just one of those. Um, so the defense held on, did, did pretty well, I thought. I mean, when you hold Ole Miss to 28, we, I think the problem was that Ole Miss had a short drive and they had – so why don't you take away that one too? Um, Ole Miss had a drive that was really impressive where they went long pass, long pass, and then the quarterback ran up the middle. I think that was one where we actually held them to like third and long and then dart or fourth and long or something, and then dart – yeah, it was like fourth and two or fourth and one, and he ran up the middle and went the whole way for the touchdown. So that – it seems like once a game is – this, is this not true? Like once a game we let the quarterback or somebody just take off on a wide open play up the middle for a touchdown. It feels like that happens once yeah, every game. It does. And, and and in this game, there were a couple of like third down plays where yes. it looked like we had them and then they ended up getting 15 or 20 yards. And that was just, there was one like third and 15, they got it and it was an absolute breaker. It just killed us. Yeah. Yeah. We, oh, that was right. And it was always like a pass over the middle and there was nobody within 20 yards of the, of the receiver. But I mean, you got to give Kiffin credit. That's what he does. That's how he makes his money is coming up with these plays that you can make the defense mess up. They they, they broke that big tight end out in the slot, and they would use him as a blocker on these wide runs, wide runs, wide runs with a quarterback, wide runs with a running back, and then like once every ten plays, they would drop back, and he would run a route, and everybody was you know the defensive back stand there expecting to get blocked, and the guy runs right by him, and gets open, so. Pretty smart. It's like, you know, Gus would do that 10, 15, 20, 25, 30 times. You'd be like, I wonder if Gus is ever going to actually throw the ball to this guy. <laughs> he'd be <laughs> he'd be left Central Florida and be off to his next job before he ever did it. That's never. It's, com- that, it's coming, though. I nominate when will Gus do the unexpected thing he's been setting up as like the cornerstone of our program all these years. I think that's like the. It, that's like the, if you you know the 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 block that they put in the ground first before they built the skyscraper, <laughs> the skyscraper that is the AU wishbone, the cornerstone block is when will Gus run that run that thing run that play action pass he's been setting up for all these years of his career. <sighs> well, anything else about the defense? Oh oh, Asante, what the crap! I've been 
singing songs about him for weeks, and he goes out there and gives them a 15-yard personal foul. That was another thing. We just kept— That was a third down, too, yes. wasn't it? Yes. Yes, we had him stopped. We had him stopped. They were going to have to punt or whatever on that play. And he goes out there and hits the guy out of bounds. I'm just like, you've got to be, of, of all people, Eugene, not at two, Eugene. No. I did, um, we got a couple of players back on defense, too. Keontae Scott. Oh, and, he was good. Uh, Keys, the middle yeah. linebacker. And that, neither one's 100%, but they both played, and I think they both made a difference. Um, Keys was number six, and he's running around out there making plays. And I'm like, who is that guy? Mm-hmm. What the heck is number? Who the heck is number six? And I, again, I think down the road they could be guys that help you know, reinforce the defense and make it better. Um, we still can't get any pressure on a, the quarterback without blitzing. Um, so that's it's a problem. Um, yes, it's you know it's, it's going to be solved in the future by getting better defensive linemen. That's it. That's so. for sure. Yeah, we just gotta we gotta get better. That's all. Yeah. We gotta get better. But, yeah, you mentioned that Chapman was great. 49-yard punting average, and that's with him putting it in the end zone a couple of yeah. times when it could have been stopped. A couple times, yeah. We had guys down there to win the end zone. If they could have stopped those, his average would have been like 55 or something. He, I, he absolutely was the MVP of that game for us. Yeah, I I wasn't blaming them, though, because it seemed like both times the ball landed in that way where it just zooms in a straight line. Yeah, it, it did. It took a you know a straight line, weird bounce in the end zone. and They couldn't get to it, yeah. They were in position. They just couldn't. There's not much you can do about that. So, okay. all right. I want to go back to one more thing you said in your, when you were talking about the positive things in the offense. We did I say a lot of things about Jarquez Hunter last week. I said some stuff, and he was much better than he has been. So maybe it's a rushed thing, or maybe they're finding what plays work for him. But he was good at this game, and it, I'm good to the point that I want. I let's get rid of some of this other stuff and give him the ball more. What happened to Cobb? He didn't. Ca- he didn't carry the ball a single he, time. He didn't carry the ball at all. And T had a few carries, but got stuffed. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah. Um, Hunter was the only back that did that played and, and did anything. I mean, Cobb was in the game a few times, but it was always like as a decoy kind of thing. Interesting. Man, we sure missed uh, Austin. Yes, we could have used a yeah, one-two punch back there, big time, big time. All right, so where do we go from here? Well, we know we go to Mississippi State, 2.30 Central, SEC Network, kind of the alternate game if you're not watching whatever the 2.30 CBS game is, which I don't even know yet. But um, I, you know, I mean, you asked the question, does this team make a bowl game? I think it's 50-50 right now. I think it comes down to how we play against Arkansas. I think we're going to beat Vanderbilt. We're going to beat New Mexico State. That's five. Uh, It's going to come down to how we play against uh, Arkansas, really. Arkansas is kind of our bowl game, but guess what? We're going to be there, so we'll be able to help them as best we can. Bowl trip. <laughs> That's our bowl trip, John. It comes say, early. Comes early. Nothing, nothing says bowl trip like Fayetteville in early November. Oh, hey, it's better than the Liberty Bowl in December, man. Come on. Come on. <laughs> come on. Come on, man. You, I'd rather be in Fayetteville in November than Memphis in December, and that's a that's fair. That's a musical I should make. That's a, I'd rather be in Fayetteville in November than in Memphis in December. Da, 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 da. Yeah, all right. Well, all right. So Mississippi State, what what is the deal with them? I mean, we know they've gone through a metamorphosis from being one thing to being something else. We know they held Arkansas to three points, which is after they had just rung up like 35 on LSU or somebody, right? Mm-hmm. So... I, they created some turnovers in that Arkansas game. Their defense, honestly, isn't 
as good. It's been better some other years recently, but at that game, they were outstanding. Mm. Uh, but on some of that, I'm going to be honest, I, Arkansas fired their their offensive coordinator after that game. So I think oh, I got something to say about that, yeah. Yeah, so, you know, uh, offensively, they're running this Appalachian State offense. They're running a lot more. The, the big thing is Will Rogers is hurt. He did not play last week against Arkansas. They're playing this quarterback named Mike Wright, who was at Vanderbilt before. Mm, and he's an okay passer, but a good runner. Um, he ran for 60 yards against Arkansas. So I think he's going to be a challenge. I'm assuming Wright is going to be the quarterback we face. And I think we can create turnovers. I think we can create a, an interception of him. And I think, you know, we just got to focus on bottling him up and not let him run against us. Yeah, He's not the passer that Jaden Daniels is, but he is a good runner. So we're going to have to really focus on that. But I think, I think we can. I think we can do that. They run a lot of outside zone kind of runs, and I think, uh, you know, with Keys back with Asante, I think we can, you know, get on those and and slow them down a lot. Um, I think, um, you know, in, in the overall, like in the advanced stat rankings, their defense is about as good as Cal's. Okay, and we're playing them at home, uh, so I feel like we'll be able to stop their. Uh, running game and create some turnovers, uh, you know, from them. And then I think it's really, if we do that, it's going to be a lower scoring game. I think they're not going to try to come in and roll up and down the field and uh, you have a high powered offense like the last few teams we faced. Mm -hmm. So I think it's going to be a lower scoring defensive game, turnovers, field position, that kind of game. But I think, you know, uh, I think we can do those things. I think, you know, that this is their, their only SEC win was beating Arkansas. Um, and Arkansas and Vanderbilt are winless in the SEC. I wish that they, I wish we could have swapped the order. I wish that we could have played Mississippi state with all the energy and excitement and everything that we had for the old miss game. I'm worried that this is going to be a little bit let out against Mississippi state. There's only so many times you can ask the crowd to be, you know, at the top and that's asking a lot. I think the crowd will be there and they'll be in, but I think we, we can't, the crowd has reached that point where the team's got to show them a little something. You yeah, know what I'm saying? For sure. And for then sure. they'll be all back in. Right, right, right. Yeah. yeah. We can't do have like four or three announced to start the game or something. No, you know? that would be bad. What did you think about Freeze taking the kickoff to start the game? I was good with it. I mean, again, I, we're at home. We want the offense to do better. Let's get it. Let's go. Yeah. I, mean, let's, I think that's the same reason why he went, went for it on fourth down for the same thing. He he did it to keep their offense off the field, and it, it ended up backfiring a little bit. So that's where we could have used Demari Austin on that play. Um, so what kind of offense do they run? They don't they do not do the run and shoot, whatever it was, the fun no. and gun basketball on grass anymore. What do they – wait, not basketball on grass. Smoke weed every day. There it is. I had a legitimate there reason is. for it, basketball on grass. So what are they running? It, it's this Appalachian State offense. Um, there's a lot of uh, shotgun, pistol, and that kind of stuff, and a lot of outside. The foundation of the offense is like the outside zone run, um, where the offensive linemen are blocking zone, but you're, you know, you're bringing guys around and blocking on the perimeter and trying to run wide. Um, and you know, the, over the years, Appalachian State uses pretty effectively. I think they're going to do the same. That's their the way they're trying to go with it. Uh, but the other thing I think is. You know, it's a first-year head coach in the SEC who's never been a head coach before. So, you know, they've got their first win, and now they're coming on the road. 
Is the team going to be, you know, as focused or prepared? Is he going to be able to handle the in-game coaching situation decisions? Is he going to? Does he coach like a defensive coordinator where he's thinking about, you know, field position and punting and not taking chances and that kind of stuff? Right. So that's the other thing I'm really looking for with this guy. Is, is he in the game? Is you know, if they're on our side of the field and it's fourth and one, is he punting all the time and stuff? So. All right, so we want to stop the run, contain the quarterback, assuming that he that Wright is the one, right? Yeah, I think he's it. And again, he he was not great against Arkansas. He had 85 yards passing, um, an interception, and a touchdown. So I think we can, you know, do a good job against their. Again, this the level of offense we played the last two weeks. It this is nothing compared to LSU and Ole Miss. They're a much less potent and dangerous offense. So I really do think we can you know, um, hold them on their end of the field and, and uh, hold, force a lot of punts and not allow them to get big things going. And I think our offense, you know, ought to be able to do a little better against their defense, that we against the defenses we faced in the last week. And the other part is we're not going to have the pressure yeah. of facing an offense that we think is going to score 30-ish points, right? Right. So right. we don't have to – again, I want us to play better on offense, but we don't have to think about it like we're playing LSU or Ole Miss where we're like, we got to go out and put up a big big number so we have to and you know, keep be the, a little more – keep the yes. ball off the off their – yeah, keep the ball. We, you're right. We, we don't have to – so we in that sense, we, we do want to – you know, I think if we play field position and pin the back and stuff, it can matter, but we don't have to worry about them you know, rolling down the field and uh, putting up big points on us. So I think we can – I think our defense can hold them down, and I think, um, you know, I think special teams again was a was a big key in this game. We could do the field position stuff with our with Chapman again and pin them deep, and I think we'll be okay. Um, yeah, I, I mean, uh, lower scoring game, turnovers will matter. Um, yeah, you had a note. The only way MSU beat Arkansas is turnovers. And I guess that's what they did. Let me ask you this: Are we better off that we're having a couple of weeks now before we play Arkansas because? I feel like they're going to be a little be able to surprise people this coming Saturday who won't know exactly what they're going to do on offense now. But by the time we play them, we'll pretty much have an idea of what they're doing. That's fair. They're going to be they're going to be uh, you know frisky and surprising people uh, yeah. with a potentially different offense because they were they were terrible. They really ruined, this guy really ruined KJ Jefferson. So so we'll see. All right, so that's Mississippi State coming up. Um, we got to let folks know, if you want to talk about big, happy Auburn news, uh, our book, we made the book announcement this past week. Uh, the book is called First Time Ever, How Auburn Brought Undefeated Second-Ranked Alabama to Jordan-Hare Stadium for the first time and beat them. And it's going to be about 300, 310 pages thereabouts. Um, I'm doing the final polishing on it, polish on it right now. I'll have it ready within the week, probably, hopefully. And the way that you can get it, the only way you can get this book before 2024, probably winter, spring at the earliest, right? When it finally goes out on sale. And we may even hold it longer than that. I don't know. But the only way you can get it now or like between now and Christmas is to get a signed copy, hardcover or paperback. And that is available um, through our Kickstarter. I'm going to try to put the link to it on auwishbone.com before I go to bed tonight or sometime tomorrow. Uh, so you can look there. But 
you should also, if you, if in, just in case I don't have a chance, if you go to Kickstarter.com and just search first time ever or just search Plexico, I mean, either one will get you there. Um, probably Wishbone too. Um, and it's basically what it is is you you pick what you want. Do you want a hardcover? Do you want a paperback? Do you want a bundle with some of our other books? And then you pledge to support it for how much ever it costs. And then when the book is ready in just a couple of weeks, when the Kickstarter ends, uh, we will send them out signed to everybody that has backed and supported this campaign. It's a little bit different than like ordering a book. You actually support our campaign. And there was a threshold to reach where the book wouldn't even happen if we didn't sell enough copies of it in advance. But we're almost double. It, it, hit, the, it hit the required amount within 12 hours and it is now almost doubled, which is awesome, and we appreciate it so much. Yeah, that was so that was so exciting to see that, and we incredible. really appreciate all of you. That was wonderful. It was incredible. Yeah, I hadn't even set up stretch goals, which is like things you get as a bonus reward if we go over a certain amount. So I had to go back and set those up. I grabbed Jared and said, "Jared, we need a stretch stretch reward," and he's like, "I'm on it." And so Jared drew uh, an illustrated uh, ink picture he did of Pat Dye talking to Bill Curry in Jordan-Hare Stadium before the game. It's really cool. And um, that will go in every copy of the book that is printed because we got to 1,200. and not The goal was 800 pre-sales, and we got to 1,200. So now if we get to 1,800, everybody that orders a copy, paperback or hardcover, will also get a signed small print of that picture which is pretty cool little extra reward, re- reward we will throw in the box when we send them out. And it's closing in on 1600 now, so we only need about $250 more in sales, and everybody will get a free print. And then if we get to that, we'll come up with another reward. Mm. VN and, will say more musicals. Yeah, that's that right there. It, you pay us not to. Now, <laughs> a- Amy says that we need to do a signed uh a signed mini poster of Boris the Tiger. I don't know. What do you think? Would that would people line up to shouldn't, get that? Reward? Shouldn't Boris sign his own posters? Yeah, I, that's what I'm thinking. He's going to. Yeah. So uh, Boris wants in on this too. So we'll see. All right. So anyway, to get the book, it, 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 I'm I'm hoping to put put a link. It's my pinned tweet. So if you're on Twitter, just go to my Twitter page, and it's the pinned tweet up at the top, uh, or just go to Kickstarter.com. And just search for first time ever or Plexico and you'll you'll see it very easily. It's a green cover with orange, the grass with the orange letters. All right. This is the only way to get the book before well into 2024. Kickstarter.com and just search for first time ever or Plexico. Oh, oh, and for our last two books, I have included all of our patrons at the time of publication. So I have not yet finished editing. So when I get to the end of this editing process in about a, about six, seven days, I'm going to take whoever's a patron at that point, and they go in the book, and then I close the book. So if you would like your name to be included in the front on the list of patrons in the book, um, just go to www.auwishbone.com and click on the big orange button to become a patron, just like these fine folks who currently do that. They include, they went to www.auwishbone.com and clicked on the big orange button to become a patron. They include Samuel Salvatore, Phil Amthor, who of course always points out that... No! 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 
celebrating right in front of me. This is the worst. This is the worst. No. And that was either when Asante did the personal foul or when they ruled that the interception was an interception and not out of bounds. Amen. Yeah, that's what I was doing. Uh, Boris the Tiger's burner account. Carl Von Drunker, Chris and Clinton Stewart, Logan Chilton, uh, a big war eagle in honor of my dad, 1960 grad. Hey, my dad was a 1960 grad. How cool is that? John Sandy, who passed away October 14th. He was the epitome of fearless and true. Yeah, that's that's so cool because that's the year my dad graduated, and uh, it was the year they became Auburn. So instead of Alabama Polytechnic, that's really cool. And Kanjian, uh, let's see, between his last round of comprehensive exams, working through the night to turn in midterm grades, and Auburn's performance on, oh, that one was going somewhere, but it just ran out of space that I can only see through performance on. Oh, well, sorry. They, I, I, I welcome verbose names for me to read, but if they're too long, I, I can't see them all. They don't fit on the screen. So this one stops at performance on. Uh, Bill Weathers, Bradley Blackman, David WDE, Salmons Esquire, Eric Morgan, Gary Grant, a.k.a. AU Fennett KSC, Matt Flowers, Michael Kirshner, Rich Reimer, Richard Stevens, Steve Trawick, Susan Trawick, Trombone Tiger, Willie Carden, William Morgan, Alex Brown, Ben Bloodworth, Bleeds Orange and Blue, calibrating my fun meter in the back booth of... Jones Barbecue Foot Massage! That's right. Chris Hilton, celebrating the end of Auburn's potato famine, which means that hopefully... Uh, we uh, we got to get better at celebrating. That's right. Chris Thrash, Dan Thompson, Daniel Odom, Earl Ricks, Bobby, and... Frosty! That's right. I believe he's leading the uh, the, the football pick right now, too. And he is. I think so. Uh, Harry Zagger, H-Town, Danny, I ordered a chicken and egg from Amazon, I'll let you know, says 76... Tiger, Esquire, Sleazy Shyster, Far. Jones, Barbecue and Foot Massage. That's right. Uh, Jacob and Robin Fleming, Catherine England, Ke- uh, Kevin Smith, Lane Middleton, Mickey B. My, sist- uh, my street name is Crab Legs because I'm a lot of work for a little piece of meat. <sighs> I don't quite know. I don't quite know what that means. No one fights like Gaston. Algo Rhythm and Blues. Paul Miles. Rusty Owens. Shane Bailey. Spanky. I am at the bottom of the soundboard list of the sound of this list because. Scott Wilson. That's why you can, the monkey boy. That's right. And also Steve Harlan. Theodore Gary. Thorn hit them in the worst spot, their hands. That was kind of, yeah, or in the old misses. Yeah. Todd Robinson, Warhammer 6, WD Richie says uh, he, he wishes there was an old Miss hate week uh, on the soundboard, I think is what he's saying there. If I'm misunderstanding that, Richie, I apologize. Um, Weagle Weagle, Wes Atkinson, Wilson Beard, Winston Body, Auburn Blue, Blake Herod, Boris the Tiger. What? Boris was down here a while ago, but Mira came and got him because she was afraid that he didn't really realize who won the game and she didn't want him to listen to us talking about it, which I thought was probably smart. Uh, to which he says, what? Brandon Smith, Carter Glouse, Colby Butler, Corey Smyer, David D., David Simpson, Di Bama at... Jones Barbecue Foot Massage! Which remains the most popular soundboard clip for the patrons. 
Uh, I've lost my respect for the season, so I can finally say Hugo Sleaze was the sleazy shyster at... Joe's Barbecue and Foot Massage! Jared told me the other day, he's like, I tune in every week now just to hear if that person's still going to keep up the... (laughs) Keep it up with the, you know, not saying anything. And well, there you go, Jared. There it goes. There they go. There they are. That's right. Uh, Josh Teal, j- uh, just wait till next year. Kevin Mahan, Luther and Kelly Ottaway, Melissa Blackstone, Papa Todd, Patrick w- uh, Patrick Williams, and our one-time and anonymous donors: <laughs> Philip Martin, Randall Walker, Rob Morgan, Russell Milling, Sarah Hines, Sasquatch, Shannon Butson. Uh, Spider Man has a winter jacket made of Mediterranean flatbread. It's called a Pita Paco. <laughs> Uh, Stephen Houston, Tim Pittman, Timothy, Tony Perry, Weagle 87, Woody the Jag, at the Mad Reaper Pepper Company on Instagram, Alex Nguyen, are we coin flipping who's quarterback on every play? Even Harvey Dent thinks that's too much. That's fair. I don't disagree. Hey, you falling up. It's good to get to say that one again after a while. Ben Amos, Ben Regis, Brant Rumble, Brian Albanese, Charles Mooney, Chris Como, Chris Braun, Clay Henson, Construction Tiger, Daniel Barnett, Darren Pyle, Elizabeth Donald. We uh, get better at celebrating. I'll buy this for a dollar. James Taylor, Jim McCrory, John Otsuki, Joey Miller, JT Jarhead, Justin Bean, Kenneth Brent Rains always points out that the barbecue. You have failed me for the last time. AKA Auburn Dead for Life. Mark Squire, MVP, captivating Kathy Bright, who also... You don't have any friends. Yeah, it's you and me both, Kathy. Uh, my favorite button on the remote is pause. <laughs> I, I am I am Tiger. Please clap. That's right. New York Tiger thinks it's been a while since we've beaten the Bulldog. Let's beat the hell out of this one. War Eagle. I, I agree, New York Tiger. Paul Bankson, Rich Hammett, Royce Alvarez, Russell Souther, Ruth and Darren Sutherland, Sports Illustrated's Auburn Elvis, Stephen Thompson, Steve Bailey, the Slinko family, Tim Sauls, Trevor Johnson, War Eagle Delvin, plus our one-time and anonymous donors, www.auwishbone.com. And by the way, uh, John, do you know that also the St. Louis expansion soccer MLS team won the Western Conference as of the other night, Saturday night, and have home field advantage all the way through the playoffs in our first season having a team. That's exciting. It's incredible. We're so excited, yeah. Uh, We went to two games, and it's just fantastic. It's such a beautiful facility they've built, downtown St. Louis. Uh, Let's see. It was a fantasy. It was a Formula One weekend. We had the USA Grand Grand Prix at CODA, Circuit of the Americas in Austin. And I'll just tell you that I briefly enjoyed first place for the first time all season and then they went in and took away the the second place finish from Lewis Hamilton after the race was over, which dropped me back into second. So Teamy McTeam faces stupid team faces in first place. I think that's probably why they penalized Lewis because they yeah. knew you were creeping yeah. at the first place. Couldn't have that. I am in second. Scuderia Torplexico, Mississippi Racing, Tiger Transit, Cheeky Nando's, Sir Bacon the First, Mobile, Scuderia Aguila Guerra. Smokescreen 45 and Solitaire in 10th. I think there's three races to go, right? We've got Mexico this weekend, Brazil, and then there's usually like a Middle Eastern race at the end, like Qatar, yes. Qatar or something. So, yeah. Qatar. All Dubai. right. So, three to go. Three to go. Uh, let's see. There's the SEC Pick'em Contest. John is still kind of on the road, right? So, you don't have it in front of you. I do not. I, I can tell you that first place remains. Frosty! That's right. Uh, second meter, 
second meter. Second place is the uh, is the that's right the fun meter calibration. Bill Miners in third and uh, Josh Kerbert is fourth and 96.2 AUs is in fifth. Uh, Patrick, let's see, uh, Bo Nose is in sixth, Patrick Williams, I believe, in seventh, Papa Todd, Eric Morgan, and Barbecue. Uh, I have risen up to 18th, just behind Tony the AU Tiger, just ahead of Wynn Carroll, the Auburn Sooner. And John is like three or four spaces below me in 23rd. Uh, only one win behind, though. So there you go. Um, all right, so that's the game pick'em. This is the kind of stuff you get to do, by the way, if you're a patron of uh, uh, go to www.auwishbone.com, sign up. You get to be part of our uh, game pick them every week and our Fantasy Formula One, and we got the March Madness and a whole bunch of other stuff coming up. We have a bowl game pick them, right, coming bowl up. Game. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Oh, yeah. So now... Coming up... In the program, we have, of course, listener questions and around the SEC. But first, it's time for our weekly look at the knuckleheads, miscreants, and ne'er-do-wells who collectively make up the worst coaches in the world. The bronze medal this week is suggested by Samuel Salvatore, our great patron and good friend. He says, hey, Van, I have a nomination for worst coach of the world. Shane Beamer. Shane Beamer of South Carolina broke his foot after kicking something in front of his wife and kids after the Florida loss and had to explain to the media at his press conference when he came in limping LOL. That's basically what happened to Aragorn in the scene where they found... kicks, kicks the helmet kicks the helmet and screamed and you find out he screamed because he broke his freaking foot the silver oh this is not going to go over well with some folks mainly me but we're giving the silver this week to you don't get the whole song philip philip montgomery of auburn what the heck man i just say he's been demoted from field marshal to lieutenant he's yeah lieutenant He's going to be peeling potatoes soon. And we have potato we have experience with potatoes, Philip. You don't want to you don't want to challenge us with potato knowledge and trivia, man. We've dealt with potatoes and you sir are about to be another potato. Philip Montgomery gets the silver, but the gold the gold is reserved for coaches who actually get fired in the middle of the season. And Arkansas offensive coordinator Dan Enos who you just mentioned has pretty much ruined their quarterback. Dan, uh, Dan Enos got fired by Arkansas, a school infamous for firing a head coach after the first game he ever coached, Jack Crow. So Dan Enos, I don't know exactly. I haven't even gotten to watch that game yet. I'm going to watch it when we're done tonight on YouTube. It's like the fast-forward highlights, quote-unquote, mm-hmm. of a two-score game, 7-3. What, John, can you tell us anything about Danny as before we wrap it up here? Dan Enos is also famous for being the guy who at one point coached at Alabama 
and snuck out of the building in the middle of the night rather than tell Nick Saban he was leaving to take another job. Wow. And in the morning, they came to the staff meeting, and, and Saban goes, where's Dan? Where's Enos? And, like, expecting him to be sit at the table for the meeting. And Holy this God. guy packed up his office in the middle of the night and drove out of town. Well, he's packing up his office and driving out of town again. And this time, I think the head coach knows. Dan Enos, congratulations. You are this week's AU Wishbone Worst Coach in the World. All right. And now I kind of transition over. Thank you. Order questions to the Prime Minister. It's time for listener questions. Dun-dun-dun on the AU Wishbone Podcast. Oh, I shudder to think what we've got this week. All right. The first one is something you've already seen, but I have to read it. It's from uh, Mr. Blake Yeager, who says, I humbly request a more somber, somber intro song, Let's Watch Some Football, is far too upbeat. I know. I put that one in on purpose last week because I felt like we needed something a little more happy, kind of get our spirits up, and it did not go over well. So I'll maybe, maybe our AU Wishbone theme at the beginning this week will be. <laughs> I'll just reboot that one back up and play yeah, that for it. So. I like it. All right. All right, the next question is from Samuel Salvatore, who says, Hello, guys, Regal. What are the chances Montgomery will not return next season? Will that hurt our recruiting class, or is Freeze the staple to this recruiting class? I think there's a very good chance. I mean, I think that you kind of had to read between the lines of Freeze's comments about the offense and about Montgomery the last few weeks. And it, I mean, Freeze, Freeze gives you some lines to read between. You know what I mean? He doesn't just... Put smoke yeah. screen. You can read. He's more direct. He is, yeah. What do you think? I, I, I it's, it is hard for me to see Phil Montgomery coming back. I know. It. I mean, I just, I, because you know, you know, Freeze is itching to be more involved in the offense. He just is. And so, I, and also, maybe he gets recruiting to a place, you know, in the offseason where he feels like, okay, I can, I can focus on recruiting. You know, but I can still, I can still, like somebody else could be the day-to-day offensive coordinator, and I'll just call the plays on Saturday. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. Um, and so I think, uh, you know, and I'm, and I'm, we're not in the room, and we don't know what's happening. But I mean, it's, I, it's not a successful offense, and I'm sure Montgomery feels like, you know, if it's not going well, he's going to get the blame for it, um, and and he will. So I think it's a way that Freeze can go. Well, there's too much of Montgomery stuff. My stuff won't be like that. So. I mean, I, we just have gone through this so, with Gus so many times. I just don't. I just was really hoping we were leaving it behind. I just don't want to go through the. I'm calling the plays. No, I don't think I should call the plays. No, I'm calling the plays. Oh my gosh! But again, really? again? I, it, I think it would be better if Freeze called the plays. I think it'd be better for him if he called the plays too, because I think yeah. sometimes when he doesn't call the plays, it's not good. Right. But I think. Then we go back to this thing of like, what if the offense was really bad and he was calling the plays? Because we, we went through this with Gus. Because then it's you own the problem, you know. With the Tuberville lesson is somebody else owns the problem. You fire the coordinators, make yes. somebody else. Yeah, you keep turning that over. That's right. That's that's true. All right. Uh, next email is from Josh Corbett, who says, John Van, first of all, War Eagle to both of you, and congratulations on what looks to be another successful book. Ah, I'm so excited. 
I says, now to the topic of hand. I'm having conflicting thoughts about our beloved program right now, and maybe the AE Wishbone therapist, that's y'all, can <laughs> help. He says, first, I thought back to the hiring of Freeze show y'all did. John made a statement at the end of the show that Freeze was not a top 10 coach. It was in the bottom half of the SEC. He gave a, free, a stat that Freeze was 9-17 and 17 against ranked teams at Ole Miss. This has been in my mind since he made – uh, since he stated that back when the hire happened, I'm now thinking this may have some merit and this program under his leadership will not accomplish SEC or national titles, but will be an 8-10 and win program year after year. My second thought is maybe Freeze just needs time to build a roster to compete with the elite teams in the SEC. Freeze's comments lately about spending time recruiting and not game planning are really telling. If they are true, he believes his roster is this roster is not a roster that can compete week in and week out in the mm. SEC. He ends up saying, my questions to you tonight are, which of these do you believe to be the truth or can both be true at the same time? Meaning, Freeze is not a top 10 coach and is the bottom half of the SEC, but this team will improve and be a consistent 8-10 win team. Under Freeze's leadership, War Eagle, congratulations again. Thank you, Josh Corbett. I, I want to stop the at the beginning before we answer this and say, you know, I did say that stuff about Freeze and I was unhappy about a lot of other stuff. But also, I think, like, I'm not going to evaluate Freeze's tenure until 2025. I'm just as what I'm – unless there's off-the-field stuff, whatever that comes to now and then. But on the football stuff, I think the roster is not good. I mean, there were – you know, there were recruiting staffers a year ago who said we're – you know, we're basically heading into the Vanderbilt, Mississippi State level of talent. Hmm. And so I think we they've improved the roster some, but not – nearly enough with the you know within the off season we need multiple years of high end recruiting classes to get out of the hole we're in and so i think and i think he understands that and that's why he's spending his time where he is yeah so i again i think the offense is bad and it's a problem and he needs to you know spend some time making sure make it get better because the danger is that it's going to be really ugly and maybe the you know, we don't make a bowl game, and the fans are restless because the, you know, even though you signed a top ten class, the offense looked incompetent. So I, I don't. What do you think, man? It's it's we've been so spoiled by 1993 and 2013 that we forget that in first seasons, most coaches don't instantly turn things around. How was Nick Saban's first season at Alabama? Okay. And I, I would, and more recently, I would say Venables and Napier had really bad seasons last oh, year. Oh yeah, and Oklahoma's fine now. They yes. figured some stuff out. Yeah, absolutely. So I mean, I, I just Auburn want Auburn fans. I can't blame them. I mean, they want to win so bad. We've we don't enjoy sustained success. We enjoy occasional success, and we want to be successful so bad. And it feels like. Tell me I'm wrong. I feel like if a if a program could enjoy the success relative to the fervor of its fans, we would be where Alabama is or Georgia is right now. But it's Amen. it's that difference. It's the disconnect between the fan support and desire and and fervor and fanaticism versus what we get on the field. You know, South Carolina's always had that reputation that their fans are just, you know, top 10 team fans, but they can't produce a team for whatever reason that measures up to it. And I don't want us to be like that. And I think that it's just, it worries our fan base that if we spend more time down than up, you know. I think that's fair. And again, I think in, in the 
I'm not happy about the offense. I'm the opposite of happy about the offense. And I think and I think it's honestly dangerous for the for Freeze and the coaching staff right now. The offense is so bad, but because yeah. I think it will hurt recruiting. And I think if if the offense plays like that at every home game, there's going to be booing with recruits in the stadium, and that will not go over well. And um, how do our fans not understand that that's a bad thing to do, no matter how bad what they're seeing? They're they're actively hurting mm-hmm. us for the future by being that way about the present. Do you think? That the coaches just don't know this is not good. Do you think they don't realize we're losing? They know. Booing them, booing anything to do with us, only makes it infinitely worse longer. That's no, the I know. stupidest. And that's Asante hitting the guy out of bounds of fans. I, I agree, and I'm not saying people should boo. I would never boo. No, I know. Them. You're you're just saying it's going to happen. I understand that. I and you're right. I, I'm you're saying right. that's the path that we're on. Like, there's going to yeah. you know, first there'll be some kind of uncomfortable murmuring and fans kind of sitting on their hands. Yeah, uh, and then we'll get there. So I I don't want it to get there, but also I, some of it is a conscious choice where you know we we talked about that. No, yeah, you're All right. right. Next is a related question uh, from. Uh, Steven Sorrell, who says the, the title of his email is the field marshal title should be permanently revoked. He says, is it time to move on to a new offensive coordinator? Who's really calling the pl- plays here? Did we rehire Gus as OC? Yeah, no kidding. Uh, I, I would say, did we really hire, did we rehire, uh, what's his name? The off the uh, Arkansas offensive coordinator, <laughs> the offensive Arkansas coach who was so bad. Um, Jack Crow. He says, Something's got to give for our offense. I still firmly believe that Hugh Freeze is a good fit for us. I could turn this thing around, but he has to find a better coach to run his offense. Our fans were booing their own team. While I don't agree with the action, I also completely understand the frustration and can imagine that is only heightened by seeing the collapse in person. The booing of the offense should be alarming to this coaching staff. Jobs are in jeopardy. Roy Golo guys hoping for bowl eligibility. Yeah, no, I get it. I get it. I'm not disagreeing with that. All right. Last email is from Bill Miner, who says the title is Scheduling versus Mississippi Schools. He says, guys, since the 2024 SEC schedule has been announced, last Saturday and this coming Saturday will be the last time we possibly will be playing both Mississippi schools in the same season. Wow. I know we don't have much history with Old Miss due to their no. due to the older scheduling, but we do have a good bit of history of Mississippi State, including a very similar school profile. Will you miss playing either school in football next year? Ole Miss has kind of been like LSU, a newer rivalry, but one that's been interesting. I get it. Historically, not at all. If we never played Ole Miss again, I wouldn't care less. But it has been interesting, like LSU, to the point of like, eh, I would miss that. Mississippi State, though, I think that we've played them like the second most behind yes. Georgia, right, of anybody yes. we've played. That's right. So I, I would miss Mississippi State. I think, again, the cowbells are annoying and all that. Uh, but I think we have some – they're not that far away. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think we have some rivalry. I mean, not rivalry, but I think we have some the tradition yeah. of playing them historically. And so I would miss playing that. We have a tradition of beating them down like seven out of every eight years. I was going to say, and I, I like the tradition of having an SEC yeah. school on the schedule that we could definitely get a win against. Well, Knocking on wood as we had it this weekend. I've always said there's been 
the, the way that we do against Mississippi State is pretty much the bellwether. They're the they're the sea level. If we're below the barometer, sea, yes. Yeah, they're the barometer. If we beat Mississippi State, chances are we won seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven games. If we lose to Mississippi State, chances are we won three, four, five, six games. And the only two years I can think of that we had uh, good years and lost to Mississippi State were 97 and 2000 because that was like the best Mississippi State's ever been pretty much was right around in that, that Jackie Sherrill 97, 98, 99, 2000 era. So. Well, in, in that one uh, Dak Prescott year with what's his name? Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's right. When they were actually number one for five minutes yeah. in this century, this millennium. Probably ever. Yeah. <laughs> All right, let's crank up the Aubie Mobile. Not the one in the Fantasy Formula One rankings, but the other one. And uh, we'll take a trip. Let's take a trip around the FTC. Well, we talked about Mississippi State, Arkansas, and I'm going to run and watch the highlights, which I assume will last about 35 seconds uh, when we're done here. Um, seven to three. You said it was pretty much uh, Mississippi State's defense, and that was the. It'd be a lot of almost scoring. Yeah. Okay. Hmm. Um, Alabama. What the heck, man? It was like Tennessee was beating their brains in, and I, I believe. Correct me if I'm wrong. I believe Alabama scored 27 unanswered points. It did. I mean, there was a point in the second half when. Again, we were all around the tailgate, and Tennessee was up, and everybody was like, yeah, let's go. Mm-hmm. You know? And then Alabama stirred back ahead. And then it was like 27-20 Alabama, and Tennessee was driving. They're down a touchdown. You know, They got the ball. There's a chance, right? And they fumbled the ball, and Alabama picked it up and ran in the end zone. Oh, the, the, yeah. Oh, God, God. Tennessee. So it went from, again, like a seven-point deficit with Tennessee had the ball to suddenly it's a 14-point deficit. So Unbelievable. Uh, Missouri, I mean, they just keep on racking up wins. What? I, that's not what I would have expected after the way they played last year and that awful game with Auburn. They're legitimately good on offense, quarterback, wide receiver. Their defense is not terrible. They're, I'm going to say this. They are the second-best team in the SEC East. <laughs> Gosh. Better than Florida, better than Tennessee, better than Kentucky. Wow. Yeah, and I guess – They've lost. Uh, who beat? Who beat them? Did they beat? They lose to a, to Georgia. Did they play Georgia? Maybe I can't even remember. I think they've lost what one or two games. Is that all? Yes, that's insane. It. That's crazy. Old Drinkowitz, the the Gus coaching tree, right? That's it. He's having better luck than. Oh oh, um, it's not on here, but I do have to give the. Uh, <laughs> This is the Central Florida Golden Knights Report. This has been the Central Florida Golden Knights Report. They had a shot. They had a shot at Oklahoma. Couldn't they were quite. up on them. Oh, man. They were up in late. The, the same Oklahoma that beat Texas, Central Florida went in there and was up on them, and then they had to come back, and they were a two-point conversion away from going to overtime, and they could not – they tried the double pass, and it turned into a single pass and a sack, basically. Oh, Gus, 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 Gus. I think they're like three and three now, three and four or something like that, so yeah. not much better than we are. But not, not having fun in their new conference. No, no, which is kind of what we expected. 
Uh, let's see. Uh, and then LSU beat Army 60 to nothing. Good Lord, Army. Yep. That's about what we would think, too, right? All right. Coming up this week, um, South Carolina at Texas A&M. I mean, that, I w- that would have been a more interesting game a couple of weeks ago, but now I feel like Carolina's kind of lost it. They've, um, they, they're just squandering any chance of being any good. So, uh, and that's it. That's 11 o'clock, uh, time slot of death, Georgia, Florida in Jacksonville. It's the outdoor cocktail party thing at two 30 on CBS. This Florida had Florida doesn't have any chance in this, do they? I mean, it's no, no, no they're no. just, they're terrible. Uh, all right. Our game is at two 30 in the alternate slot there. So if you don't want to watch the, the world's worst outdoor cocktail party, then flip over to SEC Network to see Auburn and Mississippi State try to do better than seven to three, or three to two. <laughs> you know, it's funny. Arkansas and Mississippi State went seven to three, and they're like, "Who can beat that?" And Auburn looks at Mississippi State and kind of winks and says, "Hold my beer, Arkansas, because we can beat that three to two. I'm gonna say it'd be six to five. Oh, oh gosh, no, that's awful. Uh, Tennessee at Kentucky, that could be interesting. Seven o'clock, yeah, or six o'clock, kind of interesting. I mean, could Tennessee bounce back? Did they? They're gonna be maybe. You know, still hung over from that loss at Alabama. Yeah. It's a good spot for Kentucky. It is a good – it's a nice um, – it's a nice it's a trap. kind of a game there. And then Vanderbilt at Ole Miss. Ole Miss is surely going to win. That's the 630 SEC Network. So not a huge slate really there. Alabama, I guess, must be off. Alabama's off. Missouri's off. LSU's off. So yeah. it's a – yeah, not a lot there to work with. So, what about non-conference? We have anything interesting? I, I'm going to give you two choices because the SEC schedule so week. One is Oklahoma at Kansas at noon on Fox, and the other one is Colorado at UCLA, 7:30 p.m. Eastern on ABC. Those are both interesting. UCLA, yeah. a gr- uh, Chip Kelly has a great defense out there. Wow! So it'll be interesting to see how they do. That's crazy. Yeah. And Kansas has been doing enough interesting stuff. And there's an Auburn connection with one of Kansas' uh, co- uh, coaches being uh, Jonathan Wallace. Yep. And his and Kansas little... offense is fun to watch, whether they win or not. Yeah, yeah. So, um, all right. Well, final thoughts. Uh, did I convince you that it was not nearly as bad as you thought it was? Or was I wasting my time, sir? <laughs> no, I think I think you and I are going to agree to disagree as we sometimes do. Yes, that's fair enough. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, we will see you guys again after the Mississippi State game, where hopefully we will be celebrating being four and four and on our way back up again. Uh, but we'll see how it goes. Our time is up. We thank you for yours, Warrigal John. Warrigal man. Thanks for listening to the AU Wishbone. Find links to everything we do at www.auwishbone.com. For more Auburn fun, join us on Twitter at auwishbone and at facebook.com slash auwishbone. War Eagle. The AU Wishbone is produced by Van Allen Plexico and John Ringer. Copyright 2020. This has been a White Rocket Entertainment production. Thank you for listening to the AU Wishbone Podcast.